All right, welcome to the Make America Garrett Again podcast, your cure for the mainstream media. This show is your safe space to talk about persuasion, politics, and the effect they have on your life and liberty. Welcome back to another episode. I know it's been a few weeks since I've been able to get another episode out, but uh, I had a great time talking uh, this past weekend with Craig from the Unbeaten Path podcast. If you want to look him up, he is on, uh, it is the Unbeaten Path by Craig on Spotify. You can find it on Apple. Uh, I don't know if he's on all the other platforms or not, but I'll be sure to post some of his links up so that you can find his show. I had a really good time talking to him. We talked a lot longer than we expect to just because we really enjoyed it so much. And there was a lot of great stuff to talk about. And uh, I would expect that episode to release probably sometime within the next few days. And I've been meaning to do this episode for a little while now, but I've just been really busy and haven't been feeling all that well and just been having some kind of trouble getting this podcast out. And um, I know we're a couple weeks removed from it, but I wanted to take some time to talk about this situation with the short selling of GameStop and this kind of back and forth that happened between the Reddit group, uh, Wall Street Bets, and this hedge fund, this Melvin Capital hedge fund that really went at it and soaked up a lot of things in the news. And what I wanted to do here was I wanted to go through that story again and give you just a little bit of a different perspective on it. As this whole GameStop thing kind of unfolded and we learned more and more about the story and what was going on, a lot of us were really scrambling to try to get someone to explain this to us, to to make heads or tails out of what was happening. And a lot of us didn't know what a short sale was. A lot of us didn't know what a hedge fund might be. And there were a lot of kind of confusing things that were going on. And and so a lot of people are doing their best to kind of look around and try to find answers to what's happening. And uh, the kind of story that we got from this was kind of this David versus Goliath tale uh, about the little guy really sticking it to the big corporation, really taking the big corporation down and kind of taking revenge on them. And it was it was fun to cheer for. It was fun to watch. And it was fun to just kind of kick up your feet and watch this thing, uh, watch just kind of the chaos ensue. And as I looked at this and as I dug into it a little bit further, um, I don't want to say that this narrative that you have heard and the way that you've heard this story told, I don't want to say that it's wrong because it's not necessarily wrong. Um, you weren't necessarily misled in any way by hearing the way that kind of the, the, the main narrative as how this went down. But I do think that there is another side to this story. And I do think that there is a, a bigger picture involved about how stock trading fits into free market economics and how they fit into the market itself and how short selling might fit into free market economics. So again, I don't want to really say that what you heard was wrong. I don't want to tell you that I'm going to refute the way that you heard this story. But what I want to do is I want to just kind of tell the story again and then fill in the blanks in such a way that I feel like you have a little bit more rounded picture of things and that you just have a better understanding of economics in general so that the next time something like this happens or, you know, something in this same kind of field, maybe we have a little bit better understanding going into it of what these things really mean and what these people really do and uh, the purpose that they serve and that kind of thing. So kind of going back to the David versus Goliath analogy would be like saying, yeah, you know, David, the little guy stuck it to this big guy, right? But uh, on the other hand, 
you've got like David's army who won this battle because their guy was brave enough to go out and do it. And um, you have an entire army of Philistines that lost behind Goliath and were kind of screwed over and and basically sold into slavery or slaughtered because uh, their one guy couldn't take a shot to the head. And that's kind of the way that I want to go about this story is just to say that Yes, what you've heard, it is mostly true, but there is a little bit more that I want to add to that that is also true. Uh, Again, just to help you kind of understand the big picture a little bit better because everyone ran and focused on this one story and wanted to know exactly what was happening here. And that makes perfect sense because that's what was in the news. That was the the event or the, the thing that was happening that had us all talking about this. But as you've heard me say on this podcast plenty of times before, if we can understand the bigger concept behind things, if we can understand the big picture behind it, that helps us to understand other things as they happen moving forward. And that puts us in a little bit better position to be more of an authority uh, with the people that you talk to and the, the people around you when it comes to these types of things so that you're not just spouting off whatever the news tells you, but instead you are understanding these events because you understand the principles behind them. So I think the way that I want to try to do this and the way I want to try to tell this story is I want to kind of go over it again, just from sort of the mainstream narrative of what happened. I know that when we move into an area of something that maybe we don't understand all that well, or we've never really encountered before, it helps to kind of rehear the story or rehear the lessons taught by several different people. And maybe you hear the same story several times, but you're able to pick up more and more elements of it as you hear it over and over again, because you just, you start understanding all of those different little pieces and and you're able to put them together to form that bigger picture in your mind. So what I want to do is I want to kind of go through this narrative and I'm not going to get bogged down in the details. So some of the numbers that I give you here may not quite be right. I'm not particularly interested in giving you this story um, in a 100% accurate, you know, down to the decimal point fashion. Uh, and instead, I want you to understand, again, the main narrative of what happened here and why it happened and then kind of the things behind that a little bit. So when I give numbers here, don't don't take your numbers straight from me. You can dig into those stories and, and find the good figures if you really want to get down to the details. But again, I want to focus on the bigger picture and the economics behind this instead of just this particular GameStop event. So Uh, My main sources for this episode are going to be Tom Woods and Scott Adams and especially Bob Murphy. I'm just going to straight up rip off a couple of Bob Murphy's examples that he gave when he was explaining this because they were just such good examples and there's no sense in me changing them just to try to pretend like they're original examples or anything like that. So uh, some of this stuff that you're going to hear from me, I'll post a link to that episode of Bob Murphy's show as well, where him and Tom Woods had a conversation about this and you can listen to him explain it as well because Bob Murphy is a great economist and I'm, I'm not. We're also going to use Thomas Sowell's book, Basic Economics for part of this as well. And you're going to hear where we pick that up. So jumping back to the beginning of this story, Last week, a couple weeks ago, whatever it was, Melvin Capital was a company that we had never heard of before. Most of us did not know that they existed, and we didn't know that they had a hedge fund, or a lot of us didn't even know necessarily what a hedge fund was. Now, hedge funds, they're not typically known for being very reckless, but obviously when you have a lot of money, you do have the ability to have a bigger effect on the stock market. And a lot of the stock market is influenced by public opinion. If people think that something is a good investment and a lot of them put their money into one particular stock or sector, then it may drive that price up even if those people are wrong. 
And the same thing could happen if everybody avoids a certain stock or sector. That price can be driven down. And that's somewhat normal. Those kind of things are going to happen from time to time. However, as long as the market is relatively free, it doesn't even have to be super free, it doesn't have to be a complete free market like we advocate for on the show, but as long as there is a relative amount of freedom in the market, the, the real value is eventually going to make itself known and the prices are going to adjust themselves back down to a normal level. The analogy that Thomas Sowell always gives in his book, Basic Economics, is that the prices find their right level the same way that water always finds the right level. That no matter how much water you put in one side of the swimming pool, it's always going to level out and it's always going to be the same all across the top because water tries to make itself get to the lowest point and level itself out smooth across the board. And that's what prices do as well. Prices are always going to move up or down until they find the right place that they should be at. And GameStop was the stock at the center of this story, but it doesn't really have much to do with GameStop personally. Um, This could have happened with any company whose stock was selling for a higher price than what the quote-unquote experts thought that it should be selling at. And a lot of people have asked, you know, why GameStop? Why did this happen to them? And really, it's just because GameStop is a kind of struggling retailer that they sell video games. And we are living in a time where more and more gaming is moving to the Internet. And you don't have to go to the store and buy an actual cartridge or an actual disc to put into your game system. And instead, you can just go to the eShop or the PlayStation Store or the Xbox Market. I, I don't know what they're all called, but but you can go online and buy a lot of those games and download them directly to your console now. So you don't need to go somewhere like GameStop to get the actual disc in your hand. And so that's going to hurt shops like that. And then they've always kind of struggled with used games and that kind of thing because uh, a lot of people would rather buy a game used because it's the same game, but they can get it a little bit cheaper and the store doesn't get money for selling a new copy. So this has been something that's probably kind of been a long time coming and GameStop is just struggling up against it a little bit. And that doesn't mean that GameStop is particularly good or bad. It just means that the market is changing away from the way that they've done things, that their company is losing value and that they're basically just going to have to try to deal with the times and find a way to hopefully evolve and get around a lot of the challenges that they're currently facing. But uh, this could have happened to anybody whose stock was just trading a little bit too high. And kind of getting into the numbers of this, again, don't quote me on any of this. This is kind of the way that I heard the story initially in the very beginning. I didn't fact check it or anything like that, so I may not be completely right. But as I understand it, GameStop stock had gotten up to something like $20 a share. And Melvin Capital, and I'm sure plenty of other people as well, they thought that this $20 mark was a lot higher than a struggling retailer like GameStop should be trading at. And Normally in the stock market, what you want to do, you always hear it said, is to buy low and sell high. You want to buy the stock when you think that it's at a price that's undervalued and that it's going to grow. And then when it goes up in value and it kind of reaches a plateau or it reaches the point where you think that maybe it's overvalued or it's about to drop back down, then you sell the stock and you keep the difference. So you see a stock on sale for $100 and you think that's a good deal and you think the stock's going to go up. So you buy it for $100 and then when it rises up to, let's say, $110, then you sell it and you've made $10. And of course, you do this a lot more times with a lot more money and a lot more shares and suddenly you're making a lot of profit. You're making a lot of money as these things grow and as you sell them off. However, if you own a stock 
and you think it's going to go down in price soon, but you still like it in the long term, then maybe you sell it for $100 today. And then when you think the price is bottomed out at, say, $90, then you buy it back at the lower price. That way, you've still got your stock and you've got $10 that you would have lost if you had just held the stock the whole time. So looking at maybe like the restaurant business, then one of these buffet restaurants, as we enter into a global lockdown, going into a global pandemic, and one of these buffet restaurants, their whole business model is is predicated on crowding a whole bunch of people into the same building indoors without masks. And they, you know, their kids sneeze on the same food and then everybody eats that food. And that's probably not the best thing to do during a pandemic. So you think maybe these buffet restaurants are going to be good in the long run. I don't want to completely dip out of them, but I know it's going to be a rough season for them. It's going to be a rough two weeks to flatten the curve, so to speak. And so what you do is you sell that stock. You wait for it to drop down after two weeks or 10 months or a year or however the heck long we're going to be dealing with this. And then you buy that stock back up because you still like them. You still want to invest in them. But again, you've saved that money that you would have lost had you just held the stock and let the stock lose its value. So in this example, again, you bought a stock for $100. You decide to sell it and it drops down to 90 and you buy back your stock and you have saved $10, and you still get to keep your stock. But what if you think that a stock is going to go down, but you don't already own any of that stock? That is where a short sale comes in. A short sale is when you see a stock that you think is going to go down in price. So what you do is you find somebody who does own that stock and is willing to let you borrow it. You pay them a fee for letting you borrow their stock, and then you sell that stock at its current price, and at the end of the contract, which might be a few days, it might be 30 days, might be 90 days, I'm sure it varies, you buy the stock back and give them back their stock. So, example, if I see a different stock for $100, and I think $100 is more than that company should be trading at, So I borrow that stock from my friend Mike, and he charges me $2 to borrow his stock. 30 days later, that stock has dropped to $80. So Mike gets his stock back. I buy it back and give it back to him and the $2, the lending fee that I paid for it. And then I just made the remaining $18 that the stock dropped in price. Does that make sense? So it drops 20. I pay my fee. I get to keep whatever's left over. And everybody's happy because Mike still has his stock. I've made a profit because I guessed correctly that this stock was going to drop. And everybody's happy. Now, this does seem a little bit shady at first, but there is a very, very, very dangerous flip side to this process. If I short sell a stock and it goes up in price instead of down, I'm still contractually obligated to buy that stock back for Mike at the new higher price. And that is a huge, huge risk to take on because if you just straight up buy a stock, then maybe that company goes out of business and you lose all your money from that stock. So the most you can lose is 100% of it. So if I buy a $100 stock and that company folds, I'm out 100 bucks. That's it. However, the price of a stock could theoretically go up to infinity and you could be stuck paying like a jillion times more than the stock you originally gambled on. 
And that's exactly what happened here. So Melvin Capital looks at GameStop's $20 stock. Again, don't quote me on these numbers or any of this because I may not get it right, but you're going to get the gist of it. Uh, They look at GameStop's $20 stock and they said, well, we believe it's too high and we really think it's going to come down in price. So they short sell that stock while it was at $20. And what I heard was that they had originally short sold it at $20 and it dropped to like $10. And then they, you know, had kind of doubled their money there. And I think that they short sold it again from $10 down to $5. And then they short sold it again when it dropped from like $5 to $4. And when I tried to look up those numbers, everything didn't quite match up the way that uh, I had heard the story. But either way, they were short selling the stock multiple times because they felt like the value of the stock had not gone down to where they expected it to drop to. So they were continually making money off of selling GameStop stocks letting the value drop and then buying them back up only to sell them again to let the value drop again. And so if you're on the outside looking in, it might be fair to say that Melvin Capital is getting a little bit greedy here. They are continuously profiting off of GameStop's losses here. And this is where Reddit comes in. There was a subreddit called Wall Street Bets where they obviously, they talked a lot about the stock market and someone there had been watching Melvin Capital short sell this GameStop stock. And, um, They've been watching it, I think, for like a year, a year and a half, something like that. Some people had been talking about it, but it really picked up steam and and everything really happened uh, when this whole thing went down a couple of weeks ago. And they were upset about this because they felt that this short selling was harming GameStop. Because remember, like we said earlier, the stock market is largely based on the perception of something's value, the public's perception of how something is valued. And that's one of the reasons why you've got to be careful who you take stock advice from, who you take financial advice from, because a lot of times these financial gurus on TV or their newsletter or their podcast or whatever it is, they'll go there and they will tell everybody that they need to buy up at such and such a stock while it's low, because this is going to be the next big thing. And so they can get a lot of people to buy into this thing and that pumps up the value of it. But what really happens is a lot of times this person already owns that stock. And when they talk a whole bunch of people into buying that stock, that pushes up the value of the stock. And then this person, this financial guru, sells it before it all drops back down. And he makes a ton of money. And all the other people that bought in are kind of losing money. And so that's one of the reasons why you've got to be careful about these types of things. And so at the same time, these big financial companies like Melvin Capital, they make their money by picking the right stocks to buy and sell. They have to be good at this or they wouldn't be so big, right? They have to know something about this to be this this important in the game. So when somebody like Melvin keeps shorting GameStop, a lot of other people are going to look at that and say, well, if they're down on GameStop, then maybe we should be down on GameStop too. And so maybe plenty of other people try to sell that GameStop stock that they might own. And of course, that pushed GameStop's value down even lower because even more people were jumping in and selling because they they see these big smart investors selling as well. And so this Reddit group is watching this and they're upset that these big hedge funds are basically pushing GameStop value down to make a profit. And they also noticed that Melvin had short sold 140% of the available GameStop stock. In other words, if they came up short in this short sale, if, if, if the value went up instead of down, they couldn't even pay all of that stock back if they wanted to, because it would be literally impossible. There wouldn't be enough shares for them to buy back. So the Reddit group knew that if they ran out and they all bought GameStop stock, this would drive the price up instead of down. And if they could all hold it until the end of the short sale contract, then Melvin Capital would be legally required 
to buy all of that short sold stock at the higher price and this could potentially make them go bankrupt. So that's exactly what this group did. Suddenly you've got tons of people buying stock in GameStop and that's causing the price to skyrocket. So the GameStop stock keeps multiplying and multiplying and just exponentially growing more and more and more. And if you were in it to make money, then maybe you bought in early when the price was low and you sold it a little bit later when the price went up quite a bit. But that wasn't the point of them driving the stock up. Everybody at Wall Street Bets knew that this was probably a 5 or $10 stock that they were dealing with. Their point wasn't to make money. Their point wasn't to get in, buy low, sell high like we're talking about. Instead, their point was to make this massive hedge fund suffer and possibly go bankrupt because of what they had done to GameStop's business and their stock. All of these guys in this Reddit group knew that sooner or later, when this whole thing was over, the GameStop stock price was going to return to its correct price and that anybody who was still holding it would lose money when it dropped back down. They just needed to hold their stocks and keep the price until Melvin's short sale contract was up. So the GameStop stock goes up like crazy, and obviously this gets covered in the news, which means a lot of other people want to jump in on it and be part of the fun. Some people are going to be chasing it for money. Some people are just going to be chasing it just to stick it to the big guy. And eventually, a lot of stock services like Ameritrade and Robinhood are getting nearly overwhelmed with these orders for GameStop stock. And at this point, they start shutting down access to buy these stocks. And soon after, they start letting you sell, which pushes the stock price back down, of course. But they wouldn't let people buy it, which means that that's kind of helping things with these large investors who are still able to buy and sell and have complete access because they didn't go through Robinhood or Ameritrade. They went through their own brokerages and that kind of thing. So the things that Robinhood was doing was really, really helping these companies while kind of locking the little guy out. And... You know, Robinhood claimed that they shut things down because of, quote unquote, market volatility. And they sort of implied that they were worried that people didn't understand that they could lose a lot of money buying into their overvalued stock. But as we said earlier, most of the people were pretty clear about the intentions of this short squeeze. This was not about making a quick buck. This was about the little guy possibly losing money here in order to make a greedy hedge fund go bankrupt. And all of these stock markets and apps and services, they make you sign like a million waivers confirming that you understand that the stock market isn't guaranteed and you could lose a lot of money and it's not your broker's fault if you go broke. Tons of warnings over and over and over again. And if somebody talks about making money on there, there's always a little asterisk and a little fine print at the bottom that says these results are not typical and you can't depend on stock growing and all of this stuff. So they had already covered their bases when it came to making sure that anybody using their service was completely clear that if you lose money in trading stock, that's on you, not them. And as far as liability purpose is concerned, I think Robinhood was really already covered. Now, I did read later that there was a two-day rule, and that this is, this is something that's really common, and it's called like T plus two or something like that, where the stock you buy isn't actually yours until two days later, and the seller is required to cover any difference in the price that happens during the two days after you initiated it. So um, that was something I saw in an email. I can't remember if it was, um, I get a couple daily email newsletters. There's the hustle, and um, 
I think it's called like the Daily Grind. I can't remember which one it was. It, not, a, not a particularly great email, but that was something that they said in there was that Robinhood was especially concerned that because these prices were rising so high that if, you know, it, it went up to like $250 a share. So if you bought it when it was 100 bucks a share and then two days later when the sale closes, it's gone up to 250 Robinhood's on the hook for a lot of money. And so they're saying that they shut it down because they were afraid they did not have the funds to cover the potential differences in what was going on with this stock. But if that's the case, then, I mean, I think that would be a great reflection on your business and a great advertisement just to come out and say, hey, we've got to shut things down because our customers are doing so much business and making so much money uh, that they're overwhelming our funds. And we're not sure if we can afford to pay for that. But that's not what Robinhood said. Instead, they sent out some vague message about market volatility and really seemed like they shut down all the little guys while the big firms were able to try to move things around and recover a little bit. It really looked like Robinhood was trying to protect the big financial institutions while hanging the common person out to dry. And also, mysteriously, at the same time, the Wall Street subreddit was shut down and their Discord server was banned because of anti-Semitic hate speech. And, you know, maybe it was just awfully convenient that's when this started to happen, but it seems awfully strange that they had never been banned for this kind of speech before and that only the only time anybody seemed to care about whatever kind of thing was going on on these platforms was when the rich people started to take a loss over this. And... Honestly, I don't have a whole lot else to say about the tech side of it. I mean, if you signed the waiver, you should be allowed to trade no matter what. And if a platform is against hate speech, then they should be able to shut it down whenever it appears, not just when the group happens to upset somebody else who's in power. And I think plenty of us can see that a lot of the left's narrative has become anything I don't like is either racist or fascist. And that seems to be kind of what happened here was that, oh, well, we'll just slap this scary word on it and we'll put hate speech on it and then that will hopefully give us cover to do whatever it is we want to do. Now, changing gears a little bit, Thomas Sowell spends some time in his book, Basic Economics, talking about speculators. And in the book, he uses farming as the best example to talk about this. So let's say that a farmer is growing corn. Obviously, his goal is to grow corn and sell that corn for money, which he uses to run his business and take care of his family. We're not going to worry about corn subsidies or anything like that here. Let's just pretend that we have a free market and it's simple and dry like that. But one of the problems that the farmer might face is that he has no idea what the demand for corn is going to be this year. Uh, maybe his competitors have a bad year and he's able to make a ton of money because he's one of the only ones in his area with corn to sell. Or Maybe his competitors have a great year and there's a surplus of corn on the market and now it's selling really, really cheap. This uncertainty makes it hard for the farmer to plan how much equipment he can buy. Um, maybe whether or not he can remodel his house or what college he can send his kids to or even you know whether or not he'll still be in business this next year. I had a friend who sold used cars one summer and he his pay was based almost completely on commission. And he was telling me that he had never made so much money in his life. He said it was like they were eating steak every night. They went out to eat. They bought new clothes. They bought new cars. They were really enjoying making all that money. But unfortunately, wintertime rolled around and people don't like to go to the car lot when it's freezing cold outside. And instead of making a lot of money, now he's making almost no money. And eventually he had to quit the job and find another job because he didn't realize that he should have been saving money all that summer 
uh, to deal with the winter when he had the chance. And farmers and plenty of other industries as well face that very same risk. You just, you don't always know what business is going to be like from one period of time to another. There are good years and there are bad years. There are good seasons and there are bad seasons. And this is where speculators come in. Uh, A speculator may not know the first thing about plowing the fields or planting the seeds or running machinery, but he does know how to analyze the markets and how to have a pretty good prediction on how they're going to change from one year to the next or one season to the next, you know, whatever time period you're dealing with. So what the speculator does is at the beginning of the year, whenever this contract period is, he agrees to buy the farmer's corn for a certain price. And then it becomes the speculator's job to sell the corn to the canning factories and the grocery stores for the higher price so that he can keep the profits. Now, what this does is it takes a lot of risk away from the farmer. The farmer knows well in advance how much money he's going to make from the crops, and that makes it a lot easier for him to make plans for his life and finances. So maybe he's not going to make the full amount that the corn is worth, but he also knows that he's still going to get a nice paycheck even if the corn industry has a bad year. And the speculator knows that if he is able to negotiate buying this corn at a little bit cheaper price and then hopefully selling it for a little bit more, he gets to keep whatever profit he made, you know, whatever's off the top there. So both of them are happy with this service because the farmer gets some added security and the speculator made money off of corn even if he doesn't know how to grow corn. But the speculator has got to make sure that he's got the markets right. And, you know, like I said, this service provides the farmers with a more steady, more reliable income, and it provides us as consumers with more steady, more reliable prices, which is also going to make it easier for us to plan our grocery bills. So while a lot of people might refer to these speculators as middlemen because they cost us extra money, the truth is they do provide the market with a stability that we've really come to appreciate and sometimes even depend on. And you do sometimes see some places try to do away with this practice. Uh, The first thing that comes to mind for me is like a lot of these furniture stores or mattress stores that say, you know, we do away with the middleman to save you money. And maybe that means that you'll be shopping in some warehouse instead of a nice showroom floor, or maybe you have to order it and they ship it to you directly from the factory, or hey, maybe it's just completely a sales gimmick and they're not doing anything differently at all. But the most important part to understand out of all of this is These speculators really do serve a purpose in stabilizing a lot of the markets. And if they didn't do anything, then businesses wouldn't use them. People aren't going to waste money on something that's not doing them any good. But the truth is, uh, farmers are good at farming. They may not be good at canning or shipping or creating recipes or pricing or predicting the markets. And that's okay. Uh, That's why we have a lot of different specialized jobs in our economy. And one of those is speculation. So whatever business it is, it's going to be up to them to decide what works best for them. And maybe they are better off just selling it directly to you and not having anybody else go between. But a lot of times these middlemen are better with shipping or packaging or whatever other kind of steps may go in between when the people that make the product just want to make the product and get it out of their hands as quickly as possible because that's what's easiest and that's what works best for them. So bringing it all back to this Reddit GameStop hedge fund thing, The hedge fund, and really anybody who's buying stock, is playing the part of the speculator here. They speculate which companies are going to be the best places to invest money and let those investments grow, 
and they take on some of the risk of losing money if those stocks go down or if those companies lose. Again, if you buy stock in a company and that company folds, then the stock you bought becomes literally worthless. It's, it's gone. It's no good. And you've lost money and you're not allowed to go to that store and ask to get your money back. You took on that risk when you invested in them. You took that on when you bought stock in that company. You assumed some of the risks that that company may or may not be in business tomorrow or a year from now. And at the same time, like I said before, the reason plenty of these investors make a lot of money in the stock market is because they're good at it. That is literally their job, is to be good at predicting where the market is going to go. So when you've got a big, smart hedge fund, and again, hedge funds aren't really known to be the most aggressive wolves of Wall Street, and they think that a struggling retailer like GameStop is overvalued, they're probably right. And sure, when they bet against GameStop by short-selling them, they probably did help push GameStop's market value down some. But as Bob Murphy pointed out, if you could just short-sell any company to make them go bankrupt while you get rich, then a lot of these investors would literally be trillionaires and basically every company would be driven out of business. But the market doesn't work that way. Like the level of water, prices are going to eventually make their way back to a level spot where they belong. If Warren Buffett went out today and short-sold a billion shares of Amazon stock, then that stock price might start to drop. But then a ton of other people are going to say, no way, Amazon is a really healthy company and they're really doing just fine, especially in this pandemic when all of these other small businesses have been shut down. And people are going to go and buy that stock while it's cheaper, and that's going to push the stock right back up to where it belongs. So no matter who short sells it or who is down on your stock, if your company is healthy, eventually somebody's going to see that and that's going to come to light and your value is going to make it back to the more appropriate place. So again, with all of this, the most likely story is that GameStop stock really was overvalued. And you have this hedge fund whose very existence depends on them being right about these kind of things. They decided to bet against the value of GameStop. And they believed it so much that they had actually short sold 140% of the possible GameStop shares. And this is also something that it's not really common, but it's also not completely unheard of. If I understood Bob Murphy correctly in the way that he explained this, it means that they were kind of expecting GameStop to continue losing value even after this short sales contract was over. So they had already set it up again for them to begin short selling again after this contract was over. So they kind of paid you know, maybe two or three contracts in advance because they saw this thing continuously losing value over a longer amount of time. So they wanted to make sure that they were in on those losses so that they could make money off of those and that nobody else could jump in before them or anything like that. So they had already called dibs on a lot of this stock. So they were going to have to pay all of it back anyway, but they were so certain of this thing happening that they went ahead and bet more than what could really possibly be bet at the time. You know, I think this would kind of be like betting your rent money or your house payment on something because you were so positive that you were right about this thing, you know, and, and maybe sometimes that would be a somewhat reasonable bet to make. So if there's not a cloud in the sky and you want to bet your house payment that it's not going to rain today, then yeah, maybe that is a pretty risky bet for you to take, but you can also look up with some certainty and say, Hey, I am really am 99.9% .9 sure that I'm right on this and I'm going to make a lot of money off of it because the way that I see it, the reward far, far, far outweighs the risk and the likelihood that I'm going to get the reward 
far, far, far outweighs the risk here. And again, I can't emphasize enough, these financial companies are only in business because they're good at what they do. They're good at predicting where these stocks are going to go, and they continue to make money because they continue to be right about these things so often. But instead of letting GameStop drop, we end up with a movement that started on Reddit and tons of people decided to buy the stock in order to ruin Melvin's short sale of GameStop stock. So I don't really think that this was Melvin Capital's or any other big financial company's fault. Um, honestly, this was kind of a jerk move by a bunch of average people to feel like they were taking revenge against a corrupt financial system. And honestly, these guys on Reddit, they aren't wrong for being angry. It's not wrong to be upset that you feel like our financial system and our government is corrupt. Um, our economy really is often rigged in favor of the richest people and the biggest corporations. However, firms like Melvin Capital aren't the root of the problem. As we've mentioned before several times on this show, we don't really have free market capitalism in this country. Really, we're more corporatist than capitalist. And like I said at the beginning of this episode, the stock market is pretty heavily influenced by popular opinion. And every single presidential administration wants everyone to believe that their party and their administration is best for the economy. And your average citizen just thinks that the economy and the stock market are basically the same thing. And you've heard me say this before, too, that the stock market is really easy for normal people to read because is it green or is it red? Is it going up or is it going down? And that tells me whether things are good or bad. And we know, listening to the show, that that's not necessarily the truth, but your average person does not know that or they, they do not believe that. And so what the president does, and we're talking about Republicans and Democrats here, is they do everything they can to create new money and they pump it directly into the stock market so that people think things are going well. And because people think things are going well, they continue to spend more money instead of saving. And that continues to prop up the stock market even more. So the stock market is getting money both from the government, where this fresh money is printed off and injected into it to make it look like things are going well. And then people are going to go out and spend money with these companies because they also think that things are going well. If they knew that there was trouble on the horizon, then everybody would pull back in and they would start to save up and brace themselves for hard times. But of course, this is bad for business and that would cause the stock market to fall because people aren't out spending as much money. So everything is geared to keep people spending and everything is also geared to give people a better picture of the stock market and of the economy than maybe what is really, really happening. And so when this new money gets pumped into the biggest companies and the biggest stocks, the people who own those stocks are going to receive the biggest gains. Of course, that's usually going to be your rich people. And because they're the first ones to receive the benefits of this new freshly printed money, they get access to that money before inflation sets in and causes the value of the dollar to go down. Meanwhile, you and I and everybody on Reddit don't really get to see any of that money. And when the inflation sets in, that little bit of money that we do have in our checking account and our savings account, it loses its value. It becomes worth less. And that is the reason why the rich people in this country are able to continue to get so much richer while the rest of us struggle. And that is why there is such a big gap in the wealth between the rich and your average person. 
Because on its own, wealth inequality doesn't really matter. In a vacuum, it, it doesn't make a difference at all. You hear people say things like, who needs a billion dollars? Nobody needs that much money. Honestly, it's none of your business how much of anything anybody else has. These same people probably also think that Lance Armstrong has too many bicycles and Tiger Woods has too many golf clubs. But the fact is, they just don't know why a lot of these people have what they have. And a lot of these people have what they have because they're, they know how to work with it. They're good with it. And the reality is, if you've earned it, then good for you. Buy that house, build that pool, date that supermodel. But we're all trying to make as much money as we can. And we're all trying to take care of our savings and retirement and grow it as much as we can. So you really can't blame the rich when they can clearly see that the best way to build and grow their money is to put it in the stock market and take advantage of all that shiny new money that's coming fresh off the printers and is going to be more valuable in the stock market than it is by the time it trickles down to your bank account. So, look, I'm not trying to rewrite this whole GameStop story. What the trolls on Reddit did to those hedge fund managers is, it's pretty awesome, I'm not going to lie. They beat them at their own game, and I'm sure a handful of new people got very rich in the process. But at the same time, I'm going to be honest, I don't think that the hedge funds are the villains in this story. They were also doing their jobs, making money, and normally their speculation would be a stabilizing force in our economy. Kind of like I said in the beginning, you know, in this David versus Goliath thing, there's also a whole army of guys behind Goliath that have lost out because their guy lost. And, and now they're facing the consequences of a mistake that he made or of a loss that he took. And now they're the ones dealing with it. And so anybody who was invested in this hedge fund, uh, anybody who worked at this place may be facing serious consequences just because they were, uh, happened to be in the wrong place at the wrong time. But the truth is sometimes stranger than fiction. And this time they got burnt and that's just the way it is. And honestly, I do think that that's probably the coolest thing about all of this. Because of technology, because of apps like Robinhood, the stock market is more accessible to the average person than it's ever been before. And we can get in on some of those gains in a way that we never could before. And we really can provide real legitimate competition to a big fish like Melvin Capital. Now, there is also a downside to printing all this money, or there are more downsides to printing all this money, but we're running out of time. I don't want to keep going into this, so I think I'm going to kind of make this into a little bit of a two-parter, and I'm going to cover a lot of that in the next episode. And when we talk about that, I will go back to my little kind of conspiracy theory idea that I have of how and why I think the Democrats can use all of this to their advantage. But... As I said, I don't want to spend any more time on this. I want to get this episode out to you so that you have something to listen to, and hopefully it gives you something to look forward to for the next time, too. Uh, I also just got a message while I was recording this that uh, my episode with Craig on the Unbeaten Path is going to be available on Monday. So I plan on releasing this episode on Friday the 11th, uh, sorry, Friday the 12th, and that should be available on Monday the 15th. We had a great time. Please go check that out. Show Craig some love does a really great podcast and he's a lot of fun to be around. And, uh, he kind of reminds me a little bit of Joe Rogan. Just, he just makes the guests feel so comfortable and makes you just feel good about yourself. Just listening to it. And he, you can tell that he is somebody who loves to learn, loves to talk to other people and just loves to hear different points of view. And I think that that's something that can do us all so much good. So be sure to go check out Craig, support his podcast. 
And be sure to come back to this podcast for the next episode. Make sure you're subscribing. Uh, If you can leave me a rating, that helps make this podcast grow a little bit more and share it with your friends. Tell everybody that this is your favorite podcast. If you want to reach out to me, you know how to find me. I'm on twitter.com slash Garrett again, facebook.com slash Garrett again. You can email me, Garrett again at pm.me. And as always, Garrett just has one R in it. So thank you so much for listening. I can't wait to have you back for the next episode. And until then, Stay kind, stay vigilant, stay free. Get out of here.